Welcome to Grab Life Big. Grab Life Big. The exclusive podcast for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic life. Or as a few of us say, badass rich guys who do epic shit. And now, your host, that's Hybin. If this is empty, this doesn't matter. That's your home. I'm always home. I'm on tour. Me too. You're doing great, dude. Telling true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. This is my advice to you. I know you think these guys are your friends. If you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. Wrong Tribe Confounds, The Right Tribe Compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. What's up, GoBundance? This is Jamie Gruber, guest hosting for Pat Hyben on the GoBundance podcast. And today we have a special episode. We're welcoming in a uh, GoBundance founder, best-selling author, investor, entrepreneur, and regular host of the GoBundance podcast, Mr. Pat Hyben. Pat, welcome. Jamie, my man. Yes, you're guest hosting for me. So like you flown me, but then I'm here. So I don't think Anyways, I'm saving you any time. Be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saving you any time though. Like, you know, it's a, <laughs> we're both here. <laughs> That's right. It's easier now for me because there's no pressure. I just have to be myself and answer questions. So true. That's happy to be here, buddy. Happy to be finally, after all these episodes of interviewing other GoBundance members, I'm happy to be on the other side of the of the microphone. Well, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be interesting. And for those that may be under a rock somewhere, why don't we get a little bit about your backstory? We know you made uh, a lot of money in real estate, but give us uh, a little bit more about Pat Hyman, kind of beginning through now. All right, buddy. Let's see. I was born in Georgetown, Washington, D.C., and grew up in Maryland area. I'm from a family of five siblings. Parents divorced when I was 12. Two of my siblings are adopted. Three are natural. One from Taipei, Taiwan. One's a Cherokee Indian. And five kids in like six years. It was chaotic to say the least, especially since my parents split up when I was 12. So, you know, there was a period of about six years there from 12 to 18. that was like, um, well, it was just interesting. And, um, I was kind of uh, thinking about this the other day. I was kind of a, you know, odd kid in that I just kind of like to work and like to make money. And I was terrible at sports. I tried lacrosse. I failed at lacrosse. I was a third string lacrosse player my freshman year. And then my sophomore year, the coach cut me back the fourth string. And I basically said, you know, screw this and, and, and just went and got a job, you know, didn't get good grades. I graduated college with a 2.3 GPA, 
But I always had like a paper route and I washed dishes for about five different restaurants. I, you know, was always a grinder and I graduated college with a degree in sociology. Couldn't do nothing with that. I was going to be a probation officer just because I like watching cop shows and didn't want to be a cop because I wasn't strong enough or aggressive enough fighting wise to, to be a cop. So, but I figured a probation officer would give me a taste of it. That never happened. The wait was too long and my GPA was too low. I didn't know what to do with sociology. Only reason I picked sociology is because I, I dicked around and partied too much and went to the counselor and he's like, the only way you could graduate on time without having to pay for a fifth year's worth of tuition is pick one or two majors, history or sociology. And history sounded boring, so I picked sociology. Anyways, uh, I became a real estate agent at 21 years old, fresh out of college, was a real estate agent for a good 30 some years, 55 now, I would say uh, up until about 2010 is when I was a real estate agent. So it was, you know, what was that, this 32, 33 years, and then um, wrote my first book, Six Steps to Seven Figures, and kind of just became a full-time real estate investor, and then of course, organically started uh, GoBundance back in, I think, 2014 with Tim and David. Just uh, actually, we were driving around the, the entire state of Texas looking at auto zones to buy and, and rent out. And we came up with the idea of GoBundance. And, uh, but it was completely organic, like a bunch of uh, guys just over caffeinated driving in a car all night. And I got a gorgeous wife of 27 years. And two grown daughters, one who is a, an epidemiologist and uh, just got a really good job at the federal government fighting COVID. And the other is an advertising executive. Her big account is Samsung. And yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's me. There's a few things to unpack there. I didn't know, honestly, a lot of that story. So I'm glad you went through it. I don't know how many do know, and uh, I'm sure nobody minds if they, if they heard it before. But go back to 12 to 18. You said we're interesting. This is post-divorce. You said you developed this work ethic. Was that? Did you develop the work ethic as a result of the divorce? Did you have it before? Or just describe these interesting years, if you wouldn't mind for me. Yeah, that's you know, a lot of people want to debate the nature nurture of entrepreneurship. And yep. it's, it's hard for me to debate that. Because for me, it was clearly nature, like, literally, I, I, I was only sibling that really had a job. I, of the five kids, you know, my brother didn't get a job till he was like 20. My, uh, my, you know, I got a driver's license when I was like, 16 in one day. Everybody else prolonged theirs until like the last possible moment, like, you know, when they had to get it. Uh, it, it, for me, it was just, I, I felt it was always nature, right? It was just, it, it was just my nature. You know, we just couldn't not do it. I couldn't not be an entrepreneur. I couldn't not try to make as much possible money as possible. I could not try to uh, be the number one agent or sell more houses than the other guy or, you know, in, invest in something else. And I still have that nature. I still can't get rid of it, right? I can't stop talking about doing deals and stuff. It's just impossible. So, so anyways, going back to your question that, that for me, it was just, it just felt natural. Like I look back on it, like I used to walk to work, you know, it's, it, it sounds 
like a cliche, but I really did walk like two or three miles to this dishwashing job and then walk home with wet clothes on when it was like 20 degrees. And my, my pants used to be frozen when I got home. They were like icicles, my, my jeans, because I had water on them from the washing of dishes and they froze on the way home. But there was no one really to pick me up or drive me there. So, and I wanted the money, you know, and it was like a Tuesday night. My mom had to work the next day. So like um, that really happened. And I don't think that it made any sense at the time. It was autonomous. It was just autonomous. It just, I just did it. And I look back on it and like, like I, I'm reading a memoir now, which is interesting. It's called a pale faced lie. And I love memoirs, but it's about this guy in a similar, not, not a similar situation, but in a really dysfunctional family. And he was talking about this, about how he always had a paper route and he always woke up an hour early and he always read the papers back to back before he would deliver them at like, you know, 14 years old. And I was like, that's not nurture. You know, his parents clearly didn't tell him to do that. That, that was just him. And I think for me, it was, it was similar. I just did it and I just saved money. And anyways, it just happened. So, so, and probably some of it was circumstance in that I did want to run uh, because it, it is not easy. My, my sister was adopted when she was 12. She didn't speak English. You know, we had just the typical teenage issues that you would have uh, amongst, all the, amongst all the kids amplified. And I think I ran from some of that. So some, maybe the circumstance pushed me. And also when I went to college, I picked the farthest away I could get from, co- uh, from the house and, and didn't come home. Like I, I, they were like, like Easter weekends and stuff, which I didn't even come home because I didn't have a car. And I was like, I'm just going to stay here. There'd be like 14 kids in the entire campus. They didn't come home for Easter and I'd be one of those. And I think I look back on it and it's like, you know, when I was an agent, I sold a hundred houses, over a hundred houses to people that I went to college. This is a small college of like 4,000 people. And I think the reason why I was able to connect with so many people was just because I, I, I went all in, right? I was, I was always there and I was, people knew me there, you know, and I exceeded with that. So anyway, so we do things for whatever reason, and hopefully they all come out, uh, positive because of what we do i don't know why but yeah you followed uh something in your gut that took you to where you are so it makes sense but flash forward to the agent why so you went to college you kind of followed this you know quote-unquote traditional route to this point of your story at least right you know went to high school went to college all of that like you said graduated with sociology just to graduate how what how's the transition to a real estate agent after college that seems that doesn't seem like the natural next step how did that all happen yeah, again, that, that was just the universe. I mean, like I, I, I applied for jobs. I couldn't get them. You know, I, 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 sales, is, sales is a great thing for kids who graduate college with that, that have the gift of gab or have some social ability, right? So I had some social ability. So I, I applied for sales jobs, but I couldn't get them. You know, I was young. I, looked, I was 21. I looked 16. I was still very immature because I, I was an October baby. So I was like, you know, early, I think, but, um, I couldn't get a sales job and real estate was the only sales job I could get that with no barrier to entry. Right. Like, and, and they'd hire anybody. And so that's kind of how I got into it. I, a, a friend of mine said, you get into new home sales, 
So I started applying for new home sales jobs and no one would hire me as like a new home sales assistant or anything. And then, then I said, well, let me try to get a regular sales license in the meantime. And I was substitute teaching just to make ends meet. And I got my license. And then I started going to the real estate office in between my substitute teaching job. And then I ended up selling a house. And then it just kind of went from there. It was not designed at all. I mean, it was completely undesigned. It just kind of, it just kind of happened. Like, you know what I mean? Like I knew I wasn't going to be a teacher and I saw how much money you could make. You know, I sold a house and, you know, the commission was say at the time two grand or something. And I said to myself, gosh, I know a friend that's selling Xerox machines and another friend that's selling furniture and another friend that's selling cars and they're making a hundred bucks a sale. And I just made two grand a sale. I said, this is logically, this makes more sense. And then, so I just saw that and event, you know, event, I just saw that, that it, it, it was going to be very hard for some, for someone to make more money than me. It, initially, all my friends were making more money than me. Like my first year I made 13 grand and all my friends were making 28, 30 grand. But then soon thereafter, I was making 80, 100 grand and they were making, you know, still making 30, 40 grand. So, but I saw that. I saw that early on. I was like, these, you know, I saw some agents that were killing it and making a lot of money. And I, I saw that I could do better than them and saw some hacks and I just stuck with it. You know, I, again, I don't know why it just, it just, it just happened like that. Well. And at one point, you hit the status of number one realtor in the world for, I think, two different franchises, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it was one, I'm not sure. But was that, to your point, was that something that just sort of happened? You looked up one day, you're grinding, 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 shrapnel flying out of whatever the city, you know, like you're just going forward and, hey, I'm number one. Or was that a clear target that you set and acquired? Well, you know, believe it or not, and, and again, I'm reluctant to say this because it's going to sound like... I'm making up history, but I'm not. I was one of the first people in our area to to develop a team. What was a real team? I was the first agent in my area to have a buyer agent. I was the first person in my area to have trucks with with my face on them, and and I was the second agent in my area to to do television commercials. And there was a guy that was doing commercials that wasn't doing them effectively, and I just called him up and kind of picked his brain and got to know him a little bit and then just did them so much better than him based on what someone else told me from another state. And it's kind of like, I don't know. I just, it's kind of like I was able to just build a really good surfboard and uh, a wave hit. And I was able to ride that wave. Like, uh, you know, what's going on now in real estate is similar to what was going on in 2000 and, you know, one, 2002, three, four, and five. And so I just, I, I, I was like one of the only agents with a team. Now there's a million agents with a team, right? But imagine being the only agent with a team or one of like 10 in the country when a wave like this hits, you know what I mean? Everybody else is a solo agent. So they really can't compete, you know, just trying to explain things. But anyways, yeah, it was just, it wasn't planned. I just kept, I just kept trying to be the best agent that I could number one agent in our county, number one agent in our state, then number one agent in the you know, country, then number one agent in the world. And it wasn't, it happened so fast. 
it wasn't like this long. It was like, you know, year, the next year you did more, the next year you did more, and the next year you did more. And then, and then funny what happens is you have mentors and then you out, outperform your mentors. And it's like, holy shit, you know, that I used to look up to her and now my team is twice as big as her and, and I got, you know, twice as many sales as her. And it, it's just, just not, it just kind of happens. It wasn't methodical, I don't think. Well, let's talk about Yeah, let's talk about that for a second because I'm I'm curious, and one or two questions, then we'll jump into the one sheet here. But look, I I relate to you in a lot of ways. I mean, both October babies were both bald, both both action focused, right? Like I'm I'm the same way. Like I could just go and go and go and go. You mentioned about TV and you know building a team and all of that stuff. Was this? And you said you know you kind of just kept going, but was any of it strategic, or was it just uh great? I'll do TV commercials or. You know what I mean? Like, I think the big thing today is, am I in too many places? Am I doing too many different things? And I just wonder going back, was it just like, I don't really care. TV is an opportunity. I'm going to go for that. Trucks with my face on it. Yeah, I'll do that. Or, you know, was there, did you map out like, here's my strategy at any point for any of the marketing that you did? Or was it just, I'm just going to fall forward, take action. What works, works. What doesn't, doesn't and keep going. Well, yeah, both. I mean, to the last sentence that you said, you know, only what worked. Like we tried like a ton of stuff that didn't work and I would not hang on to it. I would let go of it. But if it worked, man, we doubled down. I think I've always kind of sort of done that, like, um, which is a strategy. I don't know how to quite articulate it other than, you know, other than an analogy. Like, so let's say you're at Ve- in Vegas and I love playing craps because it's a manic sport, right? I don't get to play, but it once every five years right because i don't go to vegas or those places that much but it's so manic right there's so much noise there's so much action right there's so much dopamine and so if you're playing craps and there's like four let's say 10 craps tables and one of them has all these people yelling and screaming and the guy rolling the dice every time everybody wins and the nine other tables keep losing it's only smart to just go to that table that's winning and just keep betting all your money because that's a winning table. Uh, and I kind of saw that this, I've, I've kind of done the same thing. Like the first rental properties I bought, I used to, you know, there was these houses that I would buy at university of Maryland college park. They would sell for 150,000 and rent for three grand a month. And, um, you know, I remember talking to a mentor about those with the numbers and he's like, buy 10 of them. So I did. I bought seven of them, right? All in one year, but I bought seven in a year. You know, same, th- same sort of thing that um, I'm, I'm doing some of that now. Like, uh, you know, I've been dicking around with a lot of different investments over the last couple of years. And uh, David, David is, ha- has found this one venture fund that seems to be doing better than the others. So, you know, I put a, a, a large amount into that. I found that uh, Bitcoin mine uh, recently, and I went full in on that with a lot of money. So I feel like in life, when something works, I go in really hard. And I think most people just, you know, do a the, do a little here, a little there with everything. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's certainly safer. But I've been lucky in that sense. Let's just say so far. And that's kind of what I did with real estate with the sales. With so television, was working so great. We just, we literally doubled our advertising budget every month for like 
a year and a half where like, you know, we spent $10,000 last month and we made 60, you know, let's spend 20 and make 120. Let's spend 30 and make 180, you know? So, yeah. So that's kind of how I feel. That's kind of a lesson. No, that's a great, great lesson. I like that a lot. The wrong tribe confounds, the right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller, Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. One one, uh, last question before we move on is, as a realtor, I know many don't go the route of investor. They don't ever make that pivot. They just, you know, they kind of keep the grind as a real estate agent. When did you, or was it always there? Did you always invest from the very beginning of your career? Was that something early in your career you discovered? Just talk to me, talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, I did. I, I, I bought my first house in 1990. I was like 24. And then I rented a house, hacked it before that was even a, a word rented out the basement and a room and then bought a second one right down the street in like 1991. I did stop for a while, which was stupid. I think that's one regret I have for probably about eight years. And I went into, I started doing the stock market. Stock market went, went crazy. It was like, it was like, it's kind of like how it is now. You just couldn't not invest because it's kind of like crypto now everybody's talking about. So you, you almost cannot not do it. So I had to do it. So I did it. Lost a lot. Lost like a million dollars in a in a, a year. Then I went back to real estate in about 2000. I like cleaned out my account. But that's when I bought those seven houses. Actually, that's I had two other houses. And I said, let me just buy. I think and I had a primary. So I had a primary and two rentals in 2000. And then I said, now I'm going to just load up on all these and, and screw these stocks. Then I started doing that. Then we started doing the um, apartments with Andrew Cushman, me, David, Tim, and Andrew. We bought like 10 apartment buildings. I think we probably sold half of them at profits except for one, let's say. Then I started buying a bunch of Section 8 rentals in like 2013, 2014. I still got those. And then I started picking stuff off. I started selling this, selling that. Just because if it's if it's if I don't like it and it's kind of low hanging fruit and it's like got like a just not a perfect rental like I couldn't sell it in a resale market to a homeowner I nip it you know and um, take that cash and put it in somewhere else and I've been doing some some other things now that are certainly a lot riskier than real estate but will pay a lot higher if they if they work I don't know if they were will or not but. I hope they will. And if they don't, I'm, I'm fine. You know what I mean? I, oh, I'm, I'm still good. Yeah. Okay. I lied. One more question before we move on. Who came up with the name GoBundance? Driving around late at night, looking at auto zones. I, who came up with the actual I, name? I, David, David came up with the name. David came up with the name. I think he always liked abundance. He always liked the word abundance. And he said it. And at first we were like, I don't know about that. That's... Um, I don't know. It's just, it was different for me at least, but you know, a lot of things in life I, I, I tend to say no to, or don't like at first. And then they actually end up being, I end up being completely wrong. So that was one of the things I was wrong about it. Cause it really took off and it is unique. Like, it's like you hear about these other masterminds and they're, 
it's hard to remember their names other than maybe the guru that runs them. And we always wanted to make this a non-guru tribe. You know, we wanted to make this a member-led tribe. And it lends itself to a member-led tribe because it's not like go Osborne or anything like that, you know, or go Hyben. It's uh, so it, it, it's, it, it's worked out. It's a brilliant name. It's a brilliant name. And uh, yeah, to your point about, you mentioned you lost on one property. You did. A, I've, I've always appreciated your vulnerability and willingness to open up about your losers. In fact, we filmed a video about that. For those in Emerge, it's a bonus. You can grab that if you join the Emerge program. It's incredible to hear you go through seven or eight different losers that you've had in your career, just as much as you've won, as much as you have. You categorize losers. You remember the losers. I'm sure you do because you're such a, uh, an aggressive investor. So really, really cool that you shared that. So let's dive into the baseball card of Pat Hybe and the one sheet. If you're ready, we're going to go pillar by pillar and pick you apart a little bit. You ready for it? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right. We'll start with horizontal income. What currently is your yearly horizontal income and how many lines is that? So, okay. So first of all, the lines are, believe it or not, 50 exactly. I just counted them. So I'm at 50 exactly. The amount is about $2 million currently. What's different about my horizontal income is I have a lot of capital gains, which, which are definitely horizontal income if I you know, am not trading time for money to get them, like I'm not day trading or option trading, which I'm not. These are coming from investments that I did that I sold. So a decent amount of that is coming from, from that. I do have real estate. I do have you know, your, your, I have about 10 single families still. I have a bunch of apartments, a shopping center, a bunch of other miscellaneous stuff. And lately I've been diversifying more into uh, venture capital and things like that, which are not horizontal money. Those are basically, you put it in and then you hope that a couple of years later you get it back times two or five or 10 or 20, but they don't pay dividends per se. So so when they do pay, it really jacks your year up. So I w I've been lucky, and as I, I've, I've had a couple of those pop last year and this year. So you trade in and out of assets in some way, shape, or form, but you count that as income. So you're not 1031-ing in the case of real estate. Are you, are you exposing the money to capital gains tax? Yes. Any reason right. for that? Yeah, I, I don't want to fit a, a square peg in a round hole. And I think a lot of people that are, you know, are so afraid of paying taxes. And I think it's ridiculous. I think you just pay the taxes and move on. I, 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 don't, I don't think it's bad to, to come up with a strategy. I'm looking at a strategy now, actually, a deferred sales trust, which is a, a strategy much like 1031, but you could take a capital gains and put it in a trust and the same idea, uh, same concept as a, as a 1031. I'm not against 1031. I've done 1031s. But a lot of times what happens with the 1031s is you're so pressured with those time limits that you end up fitting a square peg in a round hole. You just, you end up buying something at a high and selling something at a high. You might as well have kept it. You know, I sold two houses in the last 18 months and I bought two houses in the last 18 months and I, I wish I could have matched them up, but I didn't plan on like I, I bought a house that I, I bought my dad's house and then and let him stay there now. And I also bought a uh, lake house, right? That's like a, a, a family house, right? On the lake. 
and I didn't plan on buying those. I didn't, in hindsight, I probably should have, but I decided to sell two rentals because I thought it was the peak of the market. It was right before COVID. And then during COVID, I didn't want to buy anything. And then after COVID, I bought these two houses. So I wasn't able to 1031 them. I probably could have and should have. But at the end of the day, sometimes even the gain is not, you know, that significant enough. Uh, after, you know, so it, it doesn't make sense. But anyways, I'm rambling. Like but No, not yeah. at all. I like that. Well, I think there's lessons in there. And I, this is, I try to extract from anybody in GoBundance that I get to network with, particularly you and David and Tim and Mike, you know, what lessons I can get from those interactions. And the one I get from you, and I've actually, in the Emerging Ascent programs, I say it all the time is a little bit of a ready fire aim mentality to your point. Like maybe you could have sunk synced up. I'm selling and then I want to buy, but at the time it didn't occur to you, but you knew it was the time for you to sell, you know, then later, ah, you know what? I'm going to buy this. You know, it didn't sync up, but you took action to achieve what you wanted to achieve. And to me, that has much more value than a, you know, a tax, a tax shelter. So yeah. And you're still way ahead. I mean, even with your taxes, just get a good accountant. And I mean, yeah, you're going to pay taxes, but on all this stuff, like I, I've had other situations where, you know, I've invested with people and things and we've all been able to cash out at once. And there's been like four of us and I cashed out right away and my other partners didn't, you know, to avoid taxes. And now their investment is worth less, a lot less than it would have been if they just cashed out with me and paid taxes. You just don't know what the future is going to hold. That's the thing. So, and also the tax, tax laws change and they're going to change a lot in the next couple of years. So there's things that I'm going to cash out of this year and next year, I think just to, to pay the lower of the, of, of the tax, which in the future may be a higher tax. That's too juicy. That's too juicy to walk past. What are some things you anticipate changing? I know you're not an expert. People have to do their own research, but I'm just kind of curious what your perspective is. Well, you know, the capital gains tax, the, some of the stuff that you're talking about now is, is the, like in New York state, I think I just read this this morning. New York state is having, I'm making this up, but I think it's like a 10% state capital gains tax over $250,000. So it's not too hard to do when you have capital gains to, to make it over 250000 right? So, so if you have capital gains, right, and you're not 1031 and you're not doing some vehicle in New York and you make 260000 on that stock sale or whatever it is, they tax 10% of that, which would be $26,000. That's in addition to your regular state tax and your regular federal tax you know, income taxes. So anyways, there's stuff coming down. The long and short-term capital gains tax will probably change overall. The death tax is changing. You know, how much, how much you're exempt from, from the death tax. There's a lot of stuff that's going to change. So anyways. No, that's good. You, you mentioned it. I had, I had to step in it a little bit there. So how about your uh, horizontal to net worth ratio? Where is that right now? Yeah, apparently my horizontal to net worth ratio is nineteen percent. Nineteen percent—that's higher than I've heard. What What do you consider a good percentage on this? I've heard you talk about this in the podcast. Educate me here as a guest host. <laughs> What's a good percentage on this? Well, you know, it just depends. Like, on honestly, mine is high because, again, because I've had some capital gains and continue to have some capital gains at uh, that that's horizontal, right? So normal 
people who have mainly real estate as their horizontal income, it comes out somewhere between two and 4%. Meaning, let's say you had a net worth of, of $5 million and you make 50000 in horizontal income a year, right? That's that's 1%. So, so, you know, so those numbers tend to be low. If you own a business and a lot of the value of your net worth is in your business, your horizontal, the net worth could be essentially your, you know, close to your profit margin on the business, less a salary you pay somebody to run it. So it could be, you know, eight, nine percent, ten percent. Some people I've seen with, you know, let's say a bunch of real estate brokerage offices or whatever, it could be eight to twelve percent horizontal to net worth. So it's just hard to say. It's, no, it makes sense. It's just, well, what, but most most of them are, are are low in the single digits. What's your breakdown on that? Because what, what happens? One one of the thing, yeah, one of the things that happens, Jamie, over time is you don't sell enough. I think, in my opinion, and so when you don't sell, you end up getting equity that builds up that that you're not actually getting more of a return on. Let's say you buy a house and you have it for ten years. Even if you're raising the rent a little bit each year, you're paying down the principal. The value is going up. It doesn't keep up with the return of what it was when you bought it. Mm. You know what I mean? When you yeah. bought it, you might have been getting ten percent on your money. Ten years later, you're getting three percent because you know you owe less. It's worth more, and the rent hasn't caught up to that. If that makes sense. So a lot of times, what happens with real estate investors is their horizontal net worth drops down below, you know, below three. That makes sense. No, I get that completely. So break that down for us for you. What percentage of your net worth is in real estate versus businesses versus anything else? Great question. And I, and I started tracking that, you know, probably four years ago. It used to be all real estate, so I didn't have to track it. It usually literally was, I had like retirement accounts that I started and have continued to contribute, you know, whatever to $6,000, I think, to a simple IRA I've contributed since I was, you know, 22 years old or whatever, but but it used to be just that, which was maybe 5% of my net worth. And then 95% was real estate. Mm. And then I just, to be honest with you, I just started getting bored and uh, wanted to diversify and wanted to try to hit some bigger home runs. And I also wanted to kind of get out of real estate. This was probably 2008. It was 2008. I just started getting disenchanted with real estate because the market was tanking. And that's my first big investment. I invested in Infinity HR with Mark Swagger. And I, I, I lucked out with that. And he's, he's built a great business. And he ended up buying me out a couple of years ago. And then after I got kind of the bug with that one, I made a whole bunch of other investments. Uh, some have gone well and some have gone bad. And uh, so anyway, so... The, the ones that have gone well have been, have been paying me off these last three years have been really good for that. And the key is now for me is just to keep finding these capital gain type of deals where, you know, through venture capital funds and things where, where I'm able to keep my horizontal up through that. Because if I don't keep that up and I just 
and say sit on the money in cash or whatever, it, it, it would drop significantly only to my real estate assets. Um, so, so anyways, but that's just a story of, of where I am in, in, in my life. Everybody's different. I, I certainly can afford to, to bet big on some things and to lose big if, if, if I had to. Sure. And it wouldn't, so, wouldn't hurt me that bad. So how far, how, like real estate now, would you say it's still over 50% or no? For you? Yeah, it's, 50, it's 51%. 51%. Is that strategic or just happens to be? It just, it's just the number. I actually <laughs> want to increase it. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, my goal is to try to get it back up to 60. Okay. Just to have some stability. I didn't know it was getting that low. And, and again, sort of what happened was like some of these things that I might have put a hundred grand into are suddenly worth, you know, a million bucks or whatever. And I'm like, and, and, and it jacks up that percentage, right? So, sure. so much faster than real estate would. So in order to bring it down to earth, I'm, my goal is to get it to 60, 40, basically. So is 40 businesses or do you have a significant percentage? Yeah, 40 businesses. Oh, so 40, you're okay. 40 businesses. For, uh, businesses and and public stocks, uh, cryptocurrencies, notes, all, all, anything miscellaneous, anything that's not real estate. And so what's, what I'm trying to do right now as we speak, I'm trying to invest in, I'm going to invest, I'm looking at investing in funds that have the tax benefit of real estate because I'm a real estate professional, my tax returns, it's very important to try to, to keep pumping up my ability to, to, to use that, you know, real estate professional designation to use the tax benefits from that. So because of that, I'm investing in funds that, uh, you know, rather than onesie twosies might have, you know, a thousand houses or a thousand or 12 hotels or, you know, 15 supermarkets or whatever the case may be. So I'm looking at some things now called uh, DSTs, which are deferred sales trusts, uh, where you could actually take capital gains and you could put them in a trust and then you pay a, a guy like one and a half percent to manage it and um, you don't pay capital gains on that trust. So it kind of does the same exact thing as a 1031 would do and then you just kind of keep the money in that trust and you can buy and sell real estate you can buy and sell public stocks crypto whatever the hell you want so long as you keep it within that trust so anyways that's kind of what i'm doing now makes sense makes sense yeah okay let's move on to the age-defying health pillar i had another thought in there but we'll, we'll continue going here so what's your weight and body fat percentage right now yeah this is good i mean my my weight's 173 this morning before this weekend, it was 170. So I'm, I'm, I'm yo-yoing this week because my wife and I went out uh, two nights in a row. We went out drinking because we uh, are both vaccinated now. So we ah, decided to tear it up a little bit. But so, uh, but anyways, I'm down. I'm, I'm down. I, um, I went gluten-free about seven months ago, and I started intermittent fasting. And between being gluten-free and intermittent fasting, I was able to drop like 17 pounds. So I'm feeling good in that arena now. My body fat, according to the DEXA scan, is 25%. And what people have to realize, like if I stand on a scale at home, it's it's 14%. But the DEXA scan is 25%. Um, the DEXA scan is the most accurate. 
And uh, according to my doctor, uh, you know, he's he's like 23 to 27. You're you're I'm, I'm happy with that for you. According to the DEXA scan numbers, anything between 18 and 28 is considered healthy. Anything under 18 is athletic. I'm not athletic, but but I'm a lot better off than I was. I was unhealthy a year ago. So that's well. So your diet, you mentioned gluten free, intermittent fasting. Why gluten free? Was that a, is something that you know you have a? a it just it was a, a you know I needed to yeah. cut something out. Because the current diet that I was on, I was I was gaining weight and visceral fat, and uh, you know I had tried other diets and other things, and they just didn't work for me. I'm a very simple guy, and so gluten free was easy because it's like, okay, I'm not allowed to have wheat. Right. So does this have wheat in it? Yes, it does. Don't eat it or don't drink it. If it doesn't have wheat, then I can do it. And and so for me, it worked and it, and it also kept me, it's boosted my energy and that I don't feel lethargic and bloated generally after I eat. So th that's interesting. Mark so it's, worked. When, I don't, it's worked for me. hundred percent. Yeah. Mark Jeffries, when he was a guest talked about what you did cutting one thing. And I shared my story with him of cutting soda years ago, just soda to your point. Sometimes we go broad, we do all these different changes and you know, it's just too much at one time and it doesn't stick. You just cut out wheat and it made a change to you. Now, it may become where you just don't want wheat anymore and you add something else on and that continues to change your body the way you want it to. But that one thing at a time, I, I don't know. I think there's a ton of wisdom in that. So uh, very cool. What about exercise regimen? What does that look like for you? So generally, I have a trainer three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I do an hour on Monday, an hour on Wednesday. I do two hours on Friday. Generally, the goal is to burn 500 calories each, and there may be 1,000 on Fridays. And then uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, generally, we'll either run, bike, something outside. I used to do yoga, but um, I stopped doing that with COVID with all the people around, and I picked up running and biking and stuff again, and I like that a lot better. Uh, just because I love being outside, and it's an every every time's an adventure for me. And then um, at the weekends, I just generally walk a lot. Um, sometimes I'll work out; just depends. But it's pretty consistent. I'd say five out of seven days a week, I'm I'm pretty active. I love it. Now you talked about your wife. You've been married how many years now? Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Congratulations! And you have uh, you have kids as well. Tell me a little bit more about your family. What's the what's the makeup? I have two daughters. They are 25 and 27 years old. And uh, one lives in D.C. and one lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. And yeah, they're great. We, we had a, a family trip to Africa planned before COVID hit uh, because my youngest was graduating from grad school. And uh, that didn't happen. So I'm hoping we'll have a family trip of sorts uh, in the near future. But as you know, kids get older, they're also, you know, get lives of their own and their bosses give them limited vacations. So uh, it is what it is, right? It's part of it. So we're kind of, my wife and I are kind of like in this phase right now where we're like, you know, you know, our kids are not married and there's no grandkids. At the same time, I'm kind of semi-retired and she's not working. So uh, we're just trying to enjoy it. We were enjoying it a hell of a lot more before COVID. I mean, you know, we were 
traveling a lot and doing a lot of cool stuff and then COVID hit we stopped and so we're starting to get back in the swing of that but uh, we've spent a hell of a lot of time in the last you know I've spent more time with my wife in the past 12 months and probably like five years before that and that's um, cool we didn't we didn't divorce and and it's been it's been good I mean uh, I am looking forward to spending some time away uh, in June, we're both, she's planning a girl's trip. I'm, I'm planning a couple of abundance trips and a couple other trips. And, and we are looking forward to that, but, uh, but yeah, but it's, it's, it's been good. I love it. I love it. What, uh, what about your life happiness index? What's that score right now on your one sheet? Yeah. So my life happiness index is 7.6. You know, the, you know, some things that really kill me are, dollar productive activity i don't really grind anymore by choice so like it's very hard for me to get dollar productive i mean that in december chris ryan had all the elders uh, calling everybody that uh, you know whose whose membership expired uh, the year prior and and seeing if they wanted to rejoin before the price went up that that was the most grinding i had done in probably 10 years and that was, was dollar productive, right? But for the most part, other than that, I don't, you know, this last quarter of this year, I have, I have no dollar productive activity. So, yeah, so that's, it's all good, but it's, um, yeah, 7.6. What do you rate as the high in there? If dollar productive is kind of low, what's your high? Well, the high would probably be relationships now because, I mean, I feel like I'm emailing my mom like every day. I call her every week. Same with my dad. You know, my wife, I see every day. We have, you know, dinner together every night. We're in touch with the kids a lot. We, you know, my daughter's actually got to move in with us during the pandemic for like three months. They both moved back home because they, because we live at the beach. So we're like, we might as well, they're like, we might as well live at the beach with mom and dad. You know what I mean? So, so it's, it's been good. It's been great. The relationship was very high on my list now. Excellent. Now, what about contribution? What is your give back ratio currently? So my give to income ratio is 3%. Okay. Is that including hours volunteer? Do you do a lot of volunteer time or is it mostly just? Yeah, 50. I got 50 hours of contributed hours. Uh, My hourly rate is 1,166. So my hourly equivalent was $72,000. My actual financial equivalent was fourteen thousand. So I really actually didn't write very many checks. I wrote fourteen thousand. My hourly equivalent is seventy-two thousand. I, I, you know, I, I have relationships. So I got about eight years ago. I volunteered uh, for a program uh, called Children of Incarcerated Parents, and it's it's basically like a big brother, big sister program for kids whose parents are in jail. And actually, nine years ago now, so. I've got two kids that that I've known for a long time that are kind of family to me, and and uh, uh, w- one of them I'm teaching how to drive, and and I've I've spent a lot of hours. It's it's really interesting what happens. Like I don't understand it, but uh, no one wants to teach him how to drive but me. Like I really want him to. It's like I have this push to see you know, kids get ahead and get out of their environments. And I feel like sometimes their environments don't want them to push to get out. And I guess that's normal, right? As parents, we don't want our kids to leave the roost. But I think now more than ever, 
we need to push kids to to get out and do shit like learn to drive and learn to fend for themselves and get jobs more than ever now because uh, they're starting to really slack. And I also have a niece who's 16 and her dad's in jail. So I've kind of tried to be a father figure to her as well. And I've been taking her driving and, and I made the deal with her and I made the same deal with my mentee. Uh, both of them, I said, hey, if you save up $1,000 for insurance and get a job, and get your license, I will buy you a car. And so uh, hopefully this year, both of them will achieve that goal and I'll buy both of them a car. So that's kind of the stuff, some of the stuff I did. I actually want to do more, but you know, with COVID, I actually signed up for Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Charleston and they, and they, they stopped taking on new mentors and you know, I want to get involved. I want to get deeper. I just, I'll throw that out at the universe. I want to get deeper involved with some with some charities, the local charities that I could kind of touch and feel and be a part of and get to know people uh, rather than just throw money at. And that that's part of my goal. And I think that's going to be a big theme for me next year, 2022. You know, if some things pan out the way that, that I hope they do this year, and, and again, I'm just optimistic, but if they do, I think I'm going to really make that a theme for next year that uh, – then I'm going to give back a significant amount of time and significant amount of money. Admirable what you're doing right now. I mean, those kids need a figure like you in their lives. That's incredible. I'm, I'm kudos to you, really. Honestly, that's a that's an amazing story. Uh, let's talk about your GoPod real quick. You're in uh, the Elder GoPod, so just if you could quickly uh, lay out who's in that, how often do you meet, and what you're currently discussing. Yeah, that's great. So I, I'm actually in two GoPods. I'm in one with uh, David, uh, Tim, and Mike McCarthy, and you know, we, we, we're good stewards. I mean, we do what we're supposed to do. We do our one sheets, uh, every quarter. And, uh, in between that, it's just kind of like, how are you doing? You're just trying to listen more than talk, uh, which all of us need help doing, especially, you know, the elders. And then I'm in another GoPod uh, with Aaron West, uh, Jim Sheilas and Saul Z. And generally what we talk, it generally boils down to two things, health, and money. And so we, we set goals and then we use Marco Polo, which is a, a video app to kind of check in. Uh, you just check in and say like, one of my goals now is to meditate. So after every meditation, I check in on Marco Polo for a couple seconds. And I recommend anybody with the GoPod, if you get Marco Polo or any video app, spa or whatever, where you can keep, keep each other accountable. Yeah, and that's it. And the you know the guys in the in that GoPod are are very much into health too. They, they we they just had a, a Ben Greenfield, who's a famous health guy, uh, just came on. I missed it, but the three of the mothers uh, paid him to meet with him, and he's actually Jim Sheilas has introduced him to Chris Ryan, and Chris is going to get him to come on a, a Go Abundance uh, No Holds Bars Q and A. So that'll be good because nice. um, yeah. he's he's world renowned. So that'll be a good show. Very cool. Let's wrap up with Bucket List Adventures, and then we'll do a question from the, uh, the, the card game. But what are your three past greatest hits and three future greatest hits? Man, it, it, you know, these greatest hits are, are kind of fun. And a time that I really realized that I was an entrepreneur. So my first greatest hit dates back to like when I was 20 years old. I had always grind. I'd always traded time for money. 
um, I had a job at the beach, Ocean City, Maryland, where I was working in a deli slicing meats for like $4.25 an hour. Some guy that I knew from college said, hey, you know, we got this gig where you go to where all the people hang out at night, all the tourists, and you try to get them to take a timeshare tour. But you don't call it that. You call it a, a free dinner if they go, you know, take a tour of some condos. It, and when they sh when they showed up and took the tour, you got fifty dollars. And in in literally my first week, I like crushed it again, not by design. I just did what they told me to do, and I I got like the salesman of the day or the salesman of the week. And it it was at that moment. It was actually a moment where like they everybody had numbers. My number was one hundred and one. And because I was the 101th kid that they hired that that summer to do this. And the, the guy who was always winning was like 50, number 50. And he was always used to seeing his name and number uh, show up as, you know, five or 10 people. Now, if you got 10 people, that's 500 bucks. Right. So it's not chump change. So I remember they they, they put the numbers up right after I started and. I think I had gotten six and he had gotten three. He was like the second in line and I had gotten six, but I, I came in like a month late. I came in like middle of July cause I was slicing meats or whatever for the first month. And I remember him turning to, I, I was standing right behind him and he turned to his friends and he said, who the fuck is one Oh one. And, and I'll never forget that. It was such a greatest hit for me because I was like, you know, here's this guy who's like the golden boy, like salesperson, and I'm just some random who ha happened to pop in, and I crushed him. And literally, the rest of the summer, I was just taking, you know, honors, and 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 he he did good too. But I I I, I was a formidable opponent, <laughs> and 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 that's kind of from that day forward. I never took a real job after that. I always went for like commission jobs. And that was a greatest hit. So that would be one. And then uh, the second greatest hit, I would say, w was, uh, I, you know, I always tell people not to use this. But, uh, you know, my wedding day was just just phenomenal. I remember, you know, because my because of uh, my my wife's parents didn't have money and, and my parents didn't have money. So I paid for the whole thing myself. And I was very proud of that. And I was able to take money that I earned myself and buy like a hundred dinner plates for all my closest friends. It was literally like the opposite of most kids' wedding where it was like 95% of people there were like drunk college kids and high school buddies. And like it was just like this huge party, you know, with very few relatives and stuff. And not by design. It's just that I invited them. But um but I didn't have that many. And uh, I was, I've always, I, at the time, I was very proud of that because I paid for it myself and I created it and I made it happen in, in spite of our parents not having any money. And then the last one I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and say was actually the day I met uh, David Osborne, which was probably, it was like almost 25 years ago, but literally, you know, David and I were at a, a conference where the guy was talking about the importance of a 
accountability partner. This, this speaker called him peer partners. Mm. Well, everybody there was already like a couple. It was all these, we were the youngest guys in a room. We were like 32, right? I was 32. He was 31. Everybody else was like 40 ish couples. And so we, we, we basically looked at each other and kind of gave each other the like head nod backwards. Like, what's up? What's up? <laughs> and, uh, and, and we were like, you know, do you want to do this? Do you want to talk? And, and, you know, it was just universe, the universe. Right. And, and yeah. so, and then we became pretty aggressive peer partners. And then it's a similar universal thing happened about, Seven or eight years later, David and I have been doing this, and we went to another seminar, a different one, that was all about money. And uh, I was tying my shoes in the lobby of the Ritz-Carlton. I remember because Oprah Winfrey lived there, and she kept coming to use the elevator, and all the, a big crowd would go there with her, her security guards. And so I'm tying my shoes up in the lobby, and this dude is there tying his shoes to go for a run, and Another mutual friend had told me about him the night before. He said, you need to meet Tim Rode. He's this guy who's here. Uh, you would like him. And I said, yeah, well, if, if you see us, introduce us. Well, he didn't have to introduce us because he happened to be tying his shoes up in the lobby when I was tying my shoes up. And he, I said, are you Tim Rode? Or uh, something happened and we started talking and he's like, yeah. And I said, I said, let's run together. And so we ran together for about five miles down through the streets of Chicago. And we hit it off so well because he had all these lines of horizontal income that that night I told David, I said, dude, I went running with this guy this morning. You got to go run. We're going to go running again tomorrow. You got to come with us. And then he came with us. And I, I would say that that, again, that, that, that universe kind of making that happen is the greatest hit for sure. That's why we're talking right now, right? So I appreciate exactly. that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome. How about what's coming up? What's the next uh, three greatest hits that you're anticipating? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that Tim and I are planning with our spouses is Antarctica. I, in 2022, you, you start in South America, somewhere near Patagonia and, and Argentina, I think. And then you, and then you take a boat there and you can't stay there. So you got to stay on like this cruise liner, but you could get out for a couple of days and walk and see penguins and stuff and wildlife. So we're going to do that. And that will be, I'll have touched all seven continents at that point. That's my only one left that I haven't stepped foot on. And uh, going with the theme of cold, for my other two is I've never been to Alaska and I want to do Alaska and I've never been to Russia. And, uh, my mom who's still alive, my mom's 85, uh, getting ready to be 86. And she has always said like her favorite place on earth is St. Petersburg, Russia. I have no idea why, uh, she just loves it there. And so it's always been in my head to visit, but it's not like a place that you know, families generally want to go. My kids always wanted, my wife too, always wanted to go to Aruba or something versus that. So it's it's always dropped down off the list. But that's those three places, all cold places, all probably uninteresting for most people are my three 
future bucket list items that I think are realistic within the next five years. I like that. Antarctica, I'm curious. I can't wait to hear those stories. So let's jump yeah. into the GoBundance app, pull up the generate new card card game. And I got the ace of, what is that? Spades, ace of spades. Uh, and this question is kind of interesting because you may have to remember back to pre-COVID for this, but what is the largest gathering of human beings you have attended? So this is great. So while GoBundance was in the, in the formation stage in just the gestation period, let's say, before it even actualized, David, Tim, and I invited Mark Swagger and two other guys to go to Spain and hike the Camino de Santiago and then take a train down to the uh, thing. It's called the Tomatina which is the world's largest food fight. And it's a, a fight of tomatoes. And general, basically what happens is they cram like so many people, like so many people get crammed in this little town, busloads and busloads and busloads of people just getting dropped off. And then they take these trucks and they just dump to, like tomatoes that they've been growing for a year on the entire country of Spain has been growing tomatoes for this thing and they just dump and people just start throwing tomatoes at each other and you throw tomatoes for like two hours you're like soaked head to toe it's like pizza sauce you're covered in pizza sauce and um, I have never been with so many people generally there was people fainting that the people had to pass above like body surfing at a concert above to get to the ambulance. They were passing them above everybody's heads to get these women who had passed out, you know, like a mile up the street because they couldn't fit ambulances and fire trucks and they couldn't fit police. And it, it was just chaotic. And, you know, thank God it was in Europe because they would have never allowed it to happen in the United States. Right? There's too much liability, right? There's, there's fights and there's, you know, stuff like that, but it would be amplified in the United States. There'd probably be 20 times as many fights and there'd be, you know, just problems, right? The, the city would get sued. The municipality would get sued. But since it's Spain, they didn't care. And it's been going on for like 100 years. So anyways, that that's it's called a Tomatina. And if you ever get an opportunity, I'd highly recommend it. It's just a, a brilliant day. Man, Spain is the place to party. The Tomatina, you got the Pamplona running of the bulls. Uh, yeah, wow. I guess they do do things, liability notwithstanding. So, <laughs> Pat, I really, I really appreciate you jumping on and pouring into, into this entire interview, just giving so many wise nuggets, things that we could take away. Where can people follow you, find more out about you, contact you if need be? Well, the easiest way is to join GoBundance. And then you'll have access to me on the GoBro Connect because my cell number and email is in the GoBro Connect. When I sold my real estate podcast and my university, to he, he also bought my Twitter and my Instagram and my Facebook pages. So I'm um, limited. I can't just tell you. Uh, you know specific but uh, uh you can still find me i'm still around i've joining abundance is a good answer joining yeah. abundance is a great answer that's the way to do it and if you're not at so that million level 
I'll double down. You can join Emerge and hopefully graduate to Ascend. And uh, while you may not have a phone number and email, you'll get proximity more than you would if you weren't part of that. So, Pat, appreciate it. Thanks for coming on today, man. I appreciate you uh, giving us a ton of information. And uh, yeah, I look forward to chatting with you soon. Thanks, Jamie. This has been fun. All right. In life, to be honest, I failed as much as I've succeeded. But I love my wife. I love my life. And I wish you my kind of success. Don't step to me, bitch. Now you can see.